Welcome to Essential Cooking. I'm Ann Delisi with my co-host, Chef James Rigato. Today we talk with Gino and Emmett Barada from Fairway Packing Company about the history of their long-standing company in Eastern Market, how the meatpacking industry has changed, and how to cook the perfect steak. All right, so today in the studio, we have, I'm going to call your friends, whether you like it or not, my friends, Gino and Emmett Barada, uh, cousins, first cousins, third generation operators and owners at Fairway Packing Company in Eastern Market. You know, I think it's, uh, for the amount of volume you do, I'm going to call it a small warehouse. It's not the smallest place in Eastern Market, but you guys do some pretty serious volume there. And, you know, you're probably most famous for your dry aged beef nowadays, but you guys do a lot of different things there. And you have that you have that Himalayan salt walled room that I buy a lot of my my beef from, um, but you also are in touch with a lot of different uh, you know purveyors, growers, farmers, and you sell well outside of Michigan. So I kind of want to talk about how this all happened because here Fairway has been around my entire career, but obviously it has a genesis. It, it came from somewhere. So so welcome to the show today, guys. And I want to kind of get to the bottom of what you do, what makes Fairway special, and uh, and who the hell you are. So so thank you so much for coming. Uh, Emmett, tell me a little bit about how you guys came into the business. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for the introduction, James. Um, the way we started in the business, Gino and I were, were born into it. Um, our grandfather... Um, and his brothers started back in the meat industry back in 1956. Um, since then, um, him and his brothers supplied butcher shops where they brought in whole hanging cattle, um, broke it down, um, got it to the area of butcher shops where the butcher shops from there further processed it, sold it into their counters. Um, my dad um, and Gino's dad entered into the business. Um, Gino's dad always worked more on the inside of the operation. My dad focused more on the sales um, of the operation. And my dad's vision was to um, further process, not for butcher shops, but further process for restaurants and create um, a relationship with area chefs and uh, local restaurants, find out how they wanted their beef processed, find out what quality they wanted to work with, and then he would bring it back to the, you know, they had a little shop on, uh, they started on St. Antoine in Detroit and um, they'd uh, process it down from there. And then they started delivering it to uh, to restaurants, which is how we got entered into really the food service yeah. um, end of the business. Who was the first restaurant that made a splat? Like, do you, is there a story in the, in the business of like the first restaurant that was like, Wait a second! You guys want that much product? Like, who, who was <laughs> yeah. the first big restaurant? God, I, I I have to say, Mr. Paul's Chop House. Yeah, okay, you know? for sure. Would you agree with me, there, yeah. Gino? And that's yeah. obviously that's a that's a yeah. that's a Roseville. It's a, it's a Detroit state. You know, it's a Metro Detroit staple. Little, little little steakhouse in Roseville, Michigan. I talk to the chef every morning. <laughs> yeah, I mean that place is. Like, <laughs> I feel like everyone knows about yeah. Mr. Paul's, but if you yeah. don't, I mean, it's been there for decades. Yeah. Uh, the things that haven't changed are nostalgic and awesome, but it's, you know, it's, if they've modernized a little bit, but I mean, yeah. it's pretty much like a little bit of a time machine in there. You know, it's, yeah. oh, it's yeah. a, it's an, it's an era of the past yeah. and it's 
I think it's, it didn't change ownership or anything, right? It's the same. Same owners, same family. Um, I believe it's 55 years now. That's remarkable. Because, um, wow. you know, a lot, that, we lost that, a lot of our classic. Yeah. London Chop House sold. Yeah. Uh, what, was the, what was the one down? Carl's. Carl's. You know, Carl's Chop House yeah. is long gone. The building's gone. Yeah. Um, so, yes. Yeah, Caucus so, Club changed hands. Right. Um, so, I mean, this is one of the, this is like an OG. Yeah. I think uh, Clawson Steakhouse changed ownership too, right? Clawson Steakhouse, and then, yeah. They had, they, they, they had different ownership and same family. But, yeah, it's been, uh, there, there's another one of the uh, legends. Yeah. Also. Another legend that's still around is um, thriving, is better than ever, is the uh, brewery. Yeah, the brewery, brewery in Clinton Township, Clinton Township too. Okay. Yeah. I don't I don't think I've been there. So it's the it's the same family as Mr. Paul's. That's right. They have yeah. a they have like a and sister restaurant. Yeah, they've That's got right. a sister restaurant that not a lot of people know about. It's in Clinton Township, Michigan, right? It's not the most desirable place that people tr- people travel yeah, to. Destination. But, you know, then again, you made Hazel you put Hazel Park on the map. <laughs> <laughs> Hazel Park was cool before <laughs> me, man. Come on. I don't know about Louis that. Pizza? <laughs> what are you talking about? Louis Pizza. Louis, there Louis Louis put, Louis, yeah. Hey, that was a customer of my dad's. Really? Louis put Louis put Hazel Park on the map, not me. My dad sold Louis Pizza. My dad sold him all his ground beef for uh, for uh, for all of his sauces and That's and, uh, and everything. And then we did the the chalk rolls for his uh, his sandwich he used to make. I love that, James. Yeah. Ever since though, you've gone over to Hazel Park. Though, I mean, that whole area is transitioned. Though, you were. Uh, well, no, big, I, big part of that. I appreciate and, it. Uh, the, the city's honestly, it's a, it's a wonderful city to work with. I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fairy tale story of when the city is open minded to new businesses. Mm-hmm. I mean, usually you have the opposite. You have the city kind of fighting business growth, and Hazel Park. I mean, Hazel Park was was really integral in their own growth. Like but, what Emma just said, you, you were probably one of the first restaurants really that we started servicing there. Besides Louis, back in the day. Yeah, now yeah. we stop a truck in that area. You know every other day for 10, 12 stops. Yeah. You know, what's funny is uh, I feel like that I went through that with a lot of my vendors when I started, when I opened, I called people and I was like, Hey, you know, I'm looking, okay, I got this restaurant now. And like, it was a routing issue because the people weren't getting off in Hazel Park. They weren't like, they weren't getting off nine mile. You know, they were like, wait a second, we go to Royal Oak. And and I remember for the first few months I was getting like 5 PM deliveries and I'm like, Hey, I'm not going to order from you if you're going to if you're going to put me at the bottom of the of the barrel. Yeah. Like get off the highway on the way up. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so yes, yeah, so, I mean you know, and you I mean you guys are yeah. always great, obviously. But yeah, it, it was funny. It was like, from everybody. It was a routing issue, and we're so close to it. We're ten minutes from Detroit, but nobody was. We weren't in the routing. Yeah. So yeah, I'm yeah. glad those other businesses came because now I have a little bit more pull with with with, with the routing. But but going back to your story, when did you guys take over running the company? Yeah. So Gino and I. Um, I would say when Gino got out of college, I've been working at Fairway for 28 years. Um, 2005 yeah. is when it really, so really two, transitioned. 2005, okay. Gino comes out of college, and um, I had just, uh, you know, one of the things that our, our dads did um, was we did every single job there was to do mm-hmm. at Fairway Packing. So, you, gotta know. you know, all of our summers through school, all of our time off, um, you know, we, we spent it there and we had a great time doing it too. I mean, I was with, you know, uh, not only Gino, but we've got a couple other cousins that are down there. We're all best friends. Um, you know, so for us hanging out on our days off of school at work and at the meat plant, it was a lot of fun. It caused a little bit of trouble too. You know, I could tell now that we're getting older, we realized, you know, how we used to drive grandpa and and our dads, uh, you know, why they used to get so mad at us sometimes. We had some fun. So we learned the business and we did everything there was to do. Um, and then when Gino came out of college, um, I had just got into, you know, uh, more of a sales role mm-hmm. and more of a representation role of the company. And, um, Gino and I would spend, you know, 
our t- our days down at the shop working in the plant, and then our afternoons and nights we would spend going to every restaurant in town. You know, going to see every restaurant in town and meet chefs, and um, we had a lot of fun doing it. I mean, you know, yes, it was our job, but at the same time, mm-hmm. it was you know we we we'd get up, we we leave the plant downtown. Uh, we'd go to my house. We we'd change our clothes, um, and and it was a you know it was a night out for us. And uh, and you know we we we'd go to all the area restaurants, see all the chefs. <laughs> you know, so I would, what? there yeah. were some evenings where we would show back up to work with the same outfit yes. we went out. <laughs> <laughs> we, but we made so many great contacts and made so many friends along that uh, along that part of our our journey that um, we still have a lot of the relationships, of course, in place today. what's changed in how what's changed in your business from when you started to the way things are now and how your business is run the kind of regulations that you have just how your business has changed so i would say you know our commitment to um our commitment to brands and um our commit our commitment to source verified brands you know when um this, when when previous generations were in place, um, the chefs, I don't think were as educated on you know sustainability mm-hmm. of farms, um, all natural product, antibiotic free product, um, organic product, and you know all they wanted was you know the best quality they could get, you know with the best price. And for the longest time, there was just a you know for the independent meat. Uh, purveyors that were downtown there was just kind of a race to you know who can you know bring in the 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 box beef from these commodity farms and who could sell it to the restaurants at the cheapest price right um where our dads were always different was we focused on the quality so even though it was a commodity farm source we were always trying to buy the best quality Mm -hmm. um what really changed for gino and i is that branding and sustainability became a big part of how chefs shop today. So Gino and I, um, you know, we went and and we sourced a lot of um, the farms that we work with. We sourced them ourselves and we sourced them direct. So you go, because you go and you visit these farms. Yeah. So you guys have spent a lot of time in Nebraska and Kansas and Iowa. So we're traveling a lot, you know. Yeah. After five, probably, so we started around 2005 really, um, concentrating on, you know, the sustainability. And then for the next five years up until 2010, we were always on the road. Mm. Um, and then, you know, a lot of our chefs now, guys like you, James, um, you know, that we met at a young, you know, when we started in this industry are guys that, you know, helped, you know, drive us to go out and find the stuff that's unique and different, like that you couldn't find here right. in the Eastern market. So and It's interesting. And I think I love, I love that, you guys pivoted direction because you're third generation, and I'm sure you know the statistics. I think second generation has a 62% chance of succeeding, and third generation, it goes down to like 17 or something. Yeah. So usually third generation is the generation that really blows it for the family brand. Yep. And you know, Guernsey, Guernsey Farms Dairy, that's a third generation. I don't know if you know Joe Kinville or not. Yeah, we know I that. love we Joe. Know He's yeah. an amazing guy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're yeah, amazing, they're but great. it's a very similar, they're cousins too, yeah. which is kind yeah. of cool. Yeah. Um, 
But they, they pivoted in the same way. They really focused on, they kind of stopped buying the commodity milk. They went all to Walnut Dale, getting the best milk they can, really reinvested in their brand, spent money on their restaurant there. And I, I've seen you guys do that. You've pivoted. And I mean, you know, we're sugarcoating some things a little bit. Like it's a tough business that you're in, mm-hmm. right? Even right now, right? Whether, you know, dra- if you see drought, if you see rain, if you see weather pattern, it's affecting the cattle, obviously. Mm-hmm. It affects everything. Um, you know, I've had product that isn't right. We got to go, you know, we got to talk about it. You know, it's, 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 it's a tough business, you know, yeah. you're dealing with chefs who also, like you said, some are highly educated, know exactly what they want, have high standards. Some are brand new to it. Some are, you know, line cooks that got promoted because the chef quit or got arrested or got fired. Yeah. So sometimes you're dealing with, I got to imagine, you know, you get probably, I mean, I can't imagine how many phone calls you get a day. I'm going to guess a hundred. <laughs> A lot. And I, you know, and like half of them are probably like good conversations. Yeah. Like, oh, let me get that. Let me get that A five. Yeah. You know, well, how's you know how's the dry age looking? And then sometimes you're you're probably just putting out fires. So yeah. Yeah. third generation is no joke. And I liked I liked that you guys have pivoted to focus so much on the chefs because it's I think it's it's an integral part of your success and yeah. and and but vice versa. Yeah. You know, having a vendor that we can rely on is integral to our success. We're yeah. an extension of your kitchen, and that's yeah. how we've always been. That's true. And that's how it always stay. Nothing's going to change with that. No matter how big we are, you know, what's going on in the world, we're always going to get great quality and great service day in and day out. So I want to talk about the relationship that the chef has with with you guys. And it's good to have all of you here. So, James, when you're thinking about the menu and what you're going to what you think you want, are you calling them to say, this is what I think I want? Or are you calling them to say, what do you got? You know, with these guys, we now have a long-term relationship, and I, you know, I visit the, I can, I can walk the warehouse, I can talk to these, I can go see the dry aging room. Mm -hmm. That's really important. Any, any, any producer, especially involving in the meat industry, that won't let you visit, that's a problem. Don't Mm -hmm. buy your meat. Don't buy your meat from a farm or a slaughterhouse that won't let you visit. I mean, I've walked slaughterhouses. I mean, you know, most places should be proud to show what they're doing. So that's rule number one. Um, And usually, I mean, we have a good system with with what we buy from. Fairway, like we have a steak on the menu that we've had for years now. Mm-hmm. It's a 60-day dry age, bone-in, uh, American Wagyu um, strip. It's Gino's favorite steak. He was the first person. He really was like, you get, I said, what's your favorite steak? And he <laughs> sent me the steak. We tried it. We love it. The guests love it. It's been on our menu for years. It's one of our only staples on the menu at Mabel Gray. So we, we you know, so I know what, what he always kind of has. But right. we talk a lot about like, Otto's chickens or like a certain cut or like if I want to do a tartare. So I'll be like, hey, Gino, I want to do a tartare. I like doing Wagyu tartare because the Wagyu farm is really uh, high quality and I like the product. Obviously, certain cuts have too much marbling for tartare, which Mm -hmm. make it um, not palatable in my opinion. So we'll talk about Terrace Major or, uh, you know, different cuts that are, you know, sirloin that are less marbled, but still high quality Mm -hmm. to make a good... So like these are the kind of conversations we'll have. So if some are short rib, you know, sometimes I'll do like a thin kind of like a a quickly grilled, more like medium rare short rib cut. Right. So we need a, you know, or split pig heads. There's different things we talk about where I'm like, we need a little bit of, we need to have a conversation about it. So I'll okay. either go down and we'll walk it and talk about it. You know, one thing for Gino and I that we've talked about a lot is um, choice. I think like choice is obviously, it was choice is basically the second tier. Prime is number one. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like everyone, the word prime is very, the word prime is actually problematic. You guys probably know all about this. Prime is basically an adjective. Hey, this is, this is prime. Or it's right. like, no, it's literally a grade. It's prime. Right. Mm. So people use that all the time. Like, right, try one of our prime steaks, but it's not actually USDA certified uh, prime, okay. right? Yeah. Prime rib. 
is not necessarily prime. So I prefer choice grade beef for my prime rib. Prime beef is too marbled. Prime rib is slow roasted. It's sliced. The Mm -hmm. ribeye is always the cut. And it has the eye internally. And then it has the lip, which they kind of like similar portions of fat. And when you roast, and it has a fat cap, obviously. So when you roast a prime rib, you're already dealing with so much fat, right? Right. And it's usually on the choice or even sometimes select, the fat is kind of like isolated to the lip, to the cap, and to to the internal eye. When you get in a prime, it's so intramuscular marbled that like you want to have a really beautiful pink prime rib. And that fat's not going to break down all the way. So right. you end up just carving into like what feels like a, uh, an undercooked steak. Whereas choice, the fat is a little more isolated and you can really enjoy that perfect flavor of like a medium rare, slow roasted beef. Mm-hmm. That to me is kind of what you're looking for in prime rib. Otherwise, just cut it into a ribeye and cook it as a steak. Right. Prime beef to me should be cooked in steak form. All right. So yeah. let's get to some of these words that people might think they know that they don't know and having you guys clear all this up. What is dry aged beef? What is that process? What does it mean? Why is it good? Why is it worth waiting for? So um, dry aged has really, um, really changed the scope of, of the direction of our company. You know, a number of, a number of things like, you know, we talked about earlier, um, but we became the first company in Michigan to build out a, USDA certified dry aging room, um, where it's a room that's um, set up for one purpose, and that's to dry age beef to perfection. And, um, you know, it was a fun part of our job was to get out and communicate with the chefs and and learn from the chefs on how they wanted product and um, what they wanted to see for the menu. And, and just like Chef James was saying earlier, just that communication and partnership um, forming you know, led us into this direction where, you know, we were getting asked, hey, can can you guys dry age beef or um, how do we do it? So we put together the room and we put together the process um, to dry age beef. And what it is, it it's you take beef and you got to wet, you have to go through a wet age process. Um, and that's coming right after, you know, the beef is harvested. It's put into plastic. Um, it's vacuum sealed. It's sent to us in that plastic it's going through what's called the wet aging process. Um, and that's where the enzymes of the beef are breaking down eternally, uh, but it's not changing any flavor. Right. Um, you know, that just beef, beef is becoming tender. Um, the dry aging um, part of it is when we take it out of that plastic, place it into this room um, that's purified with Himalayan salt, um, humidity controlled with the, uh, with the Himalayan salt, and then also has, um, a constant airflow, so it's never sti- uh, sitting in any type of stagnant air, and the beef is com- um, really decomposing and dehydrating, and we're drawing moisture away from it. And what we're doing is, when we're drawing the moisture away from it, we're concentrating the flavor together, and we're making it a more intense beef flavor because most of the muscles, as we get them, they're actually seventy-five percent moisture, and that, you know, what we're trying to do is we're trying to dehydrate about 25 to 30% of that moisture out of that muscle. And that makes it just a more intense, beefy flavor. So the longer it ages, the better it gets. There's a window. There's yeah, a window. There's a, there's so a window. What, so what is the window? James, if you want, if you wanted dry aged 
beef, what window do you want? Like what yeah. a number of days do you say, that's when I want to cook that? So you, people, for one, dry aging removes moisture, right? So that's weight. Right. So it gets smaller mm-hmm. and the outer bark basically becomes inedible. So it's, 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 it's a wasteful process. So you got to keep that in mind. So you can't just dry age any old thing you want. Right. Ribeye, strip, things that have a lot of bone and fat cap on it. So those, those items can take the, the majority of what I call the bark, which is kind of the outer crust. So you want to make sure you put in a pretty uh, large format cut. For something like a prime rib, like the choice prime rib I was mentioning, like 14 to 25 days is plenty. Like even like one week just to just to kind of get a little bit of a tacky skin on it. Um, the strip that we buy, he- American Wagyu, heavily marbled, tons of fat, bone in, up to sixty days, no problem. You break sixty, you're getting into trouble. Well, you're to me, what you're getting into is salami, and there's nothing wrong with that. But you need to know that's what not you're, what you're want. That's what you're like, cooking. The process okay. is very similar to the way that charcuterie is made: ham, salami, right? They're basically. Uh, Salt and thyme is what creates those products. So the longer a beef ages, if you're doing like a strip loin and you get to 180 days, you need to treat that, you know, really, really gently. You need to cook it, I mean, barely cook it, and then serve it with some kind of like fat-rich, like robust sauce. Because you're basically, you're at the point of like, it's like closer to the charcuterie item than it is fresh beef. Right. And they all have value. It's Even tartare, you know, like a a raw, dry-aged tartare is really, really nice. But it depends on what you're doing. So for me, whole roasting, like a prime rib, 20, I think 20 days is a good number, you know, between kind of two weeks and three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the grilled Wagyu, heavily marbled steak, I think 60, 50 to 60 is like, that's that's where you're cutting into something that starts to taste nutty, starts to taste a little blue cheesy, kind of gets a yeah. really, really cool. The beef tastes beefier mm-hmm. in, a, in, a, in a really, sim- to simplify it. Yeah, I, I, def- I would agree there. Um, you know, because anything past 60 days, two things. One, it's, you, you know, you're changing that flavor profile. And, you know, I'm sure and a lot of the chefs, they'll understand it. And, you know, they'll request it and they'll want it. But there also comes with a, a whole cost to doing it longer. And, yeah. you know, the more it shrinks, the more product you loses. The more uh, the more product you lose, the more um, the restaurant has to pay for the product. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, there's costs involved. The, to, to hit the dry aging process. That's why, you know, when you see it on menus, um, you know, it's, yeah, it's an expensive steak, but there's been a whole process that it's gone through. Sure. And I think that's that, that uh, 56 to 60 day mark um, hits it spot on. We've had guys want to do it to 180 days to, I had a chef take it to a year. Yeah, um, it's wild. And and we, 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 cut, we cut open to it a, a, after a year. He came down. It was New Year's Eve, and uh, he came down, and, and we were in the dry aging room, and he says, Emmett, can you tag me a piece, and I'm going to pick it up next New Year's Eve. <laughs> really? I yeah. said, all right, chef. You know, we, uh, listen, our job is to do what the chef wants. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so we tagged it, and, um, and, and he came down, and it was, you know, it was a, it was a fun production because we pulled it out. Um, I mean, this thing was, was shriveled up. So <laughs> we, we, we cut a, a whole loin. Um, what started out as about a 25 pound rib loin, we ended up getting about six 10 ounce steaks out of it after one year. And I took a couple home. He took some home, but I waited for him to call me to tell me that he <laughs> ate it, that he, that, he ate it yeah. that he ate it before I ate it. <laughs> and then I also waited about a half hour after he ate it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, to, make, to, to make sure he was okay still. 
so, but it was good. But it was I, I wouldn't do that again. So um, before we even uh, sat down to do this uh, interview, we started talking about the regulations that nobody is aware of that your business has to adhere to. Yeah. And so I had no idea that you had to have an inspector on site the entire time you work, right? Yep. Yeah. So our processing um, plant and processing rooms, um, where we're cutting the meat for the restaurants and the chefs, it it has to be um, so sanitized. You, I mean, a doctor would be able to perform a triple bypass on that table. That's mm -hmm. how sanitized we have to keep these rooms. Um, and that's all under the guidelines of the watch of the USDA. And the USDA does a great job when it comes to um monitoring um you know where the product's coming from how the product is processed how it's packaged how it's labeled um for a lot of years before the usda was involved in our business i'll tell you there were some shady things that that happened you know down at some of these independent meat plants mm -hmm. um, that you would find across the country right and you know product going out that maybe wasn't the grade it should have been, um, you know, and product going out um, not identified properly. And the USDA put a stop to all that. And, and we're thankful that they did because, you know, that it's it, it, it really, at the end of the day, benefits everybody mm -hmm. to have your product being processed in a facility like ours that's um, governed and watched by the USDA. But a lot of people don't understand that you guys pay for that you pay to be oh, in, yeah. you, you pay yeah. for your yeah. own government oversight yeah we we do it's it it, it, it comes at a cost and, and like i said earlier um not including you know outside of your tax pay you know that the, the tax money that you already pay but yeah uh, the usda is 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 basically a set you know an employee um for us that that works hourly and you know and then we can only we can only process and operate when the usda is working and um on their shifts so you know if our guys are requiring overtime um, the USDA requires overtime and, you know, there's been times where we've been, you know, we, we cut high volume for some, some pretty serious chefs in Detroit and it, it comes, you know, we don't like to rush that process. Right. So on busy days, you know, during holidays events, um, there's been times where the USDA has come up to me and said, Hey, Emmett, I'm only staying here till six o'clock, you know, and, and then, you know, you our shut team, it, shut it down. Our team gets under the gun because mm -hmm. when our inspector leaves, that's it. You yeah. can't process Absolutely. Anymore. We'll be right back right after this. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Line takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Line wherever you get your podcasts. Gino, is there a, I mean, one thing that you've, uh, you know, kind of like, I've seen you, I don't know if you're leading this or we just talked about it more, but like you guys do the custom burger. I think that's, that's um, something about your business yeah. that has really changed yeah. over the years that like you can go down there and talk about the blend you want for your burger. Yeah. And you know, if you go to like, if you're buying ground beef in a grocery store, right? There's a lot of like, well, ground beef is ground beef kind of attitude, mm -hmm. but you guys I'm sure don't feel that way, but your custom ground beef, why don't you walk me through that a little bit? Yeah. So you go to a restaurant now and you don't see your six, $7 uh, lunch special burgers anymore. Very few spots. Um, you're seeing burgers carrying a price tag of up to, you know, $30 on the average. 
Um, so everyone wants to be unique with that. Um, that burger became an, like your like a steak option, and that's essentially what it is now. It is um, short ribs, briskets, chucks, dry aged um, components being blended into our grinder. Um, down downtown, we uh, and you've walked the facility. You see, we do everything in small batches, mm-hmm. and the reason being is that every restaurant has a different has a different yeah. blend. What is your favorite blend? Do you have a favorite blend? Yeah, it's called the Barada blend. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's a family blend. It's a family, it's a family favorite. Yeah. So That's everyone's got everyone's got to love that blend, like yeah. it or not. We what, what we is had it? to love it. it. Is the best. Yeah, what to, is put, it? to put our name on it, we made sure right. that uh, it'd be the best. Burger. Is that your top selling blend? Uh, yeah. It does very well. And what what is it? Do you, do, you, do you disclose this? Uh, we can, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. It's, well, uh, yeah. it's, it's our short rib brisket and chuck, and then we run some of our Wagyu uh, trimmings through it. Okay, yeah, for sure. To give it that little bit extra fat. And then yeah. do you, do you, does any dry age hit that, or is that yeah, all the fresh? Yeah, so the Wagyu um, steak trimmings and, and dry age trimmings is, usually the dry is, age, yeah. is what we do. So we cut a lot of Wagyu tomahawk steaks. Of course. Um, a lot of the Wagyu New York strips. And we've got a special box where we're taking that rib meat from the tomahawks and we're taking that um, loin meat from the strip and we're putting it in the box. And, and that's what we add in with the brisket, um, the short rib, and then we do a little bit more Wagyu fat into it. Um, it it's it's our signature burger. Yeah. It's it, it's a pretty good burger. <laughs> yeah, is there, we love it. Is there any, like, is there anybody, or, like, is there a high, is the high end burger, is someone doing a burger that costs you guys, like, like someone comes to you and says, I want only... This yeah. high end dry age wagyu trim, like is there like what like what is so we, we listen not, you know, of course we're gonna we're gonna have pretty good conversations with chefs when they come to our, into our burger room and, yeah and and we're gonna do what's right you know there's there's there has been you know unreasonable requests that have come to <laughs> us you know where it's been like hey guys I mean yeah you know I've had guys that wanted us wanted me to take a, a whole wagyu ribeye and drop that into the grind and mix it with a brisket. Well, okay, you're going to be paying me 30 bucks a pound for that yeah. Wagyu ribeye. I yeah. mean, you know, wow. you know, so it's like it, there's been requests where we're, we'll, we'll get with the chef and let's say, listen, let's come up with the right burger. Right. And, 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 um, you talk them off the ledge a little yeah, bit. Yeah. And listen, that's one of the fun parts of our job is, is communicating with the chefs on, on burger development, steak development, you know, menu development. And, you know, um, Listen, our, our our dads were always big big guys on. Hey, we do it how the chef wants it, mm-hmm. you know, not how the chef wants us to, or not how you want to do it. We do it how the chef wants it done, and that's that's rules we live by today. So, um, who yeah. is who is the largest burger purchaser you guys have? Who's buying the most burgers? Redcoat Tavern. Redcoat, really? That's an easy answer. Really, <laughs> that, that much head and shoulders above everyone else. Yeah, Redcoat Tavern has been. There's uh, some close ones you know, out there, but we, they... we 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 sell. We've got a couple of burger um, establishments that are that are are using some pretty good volume of burger. But you know, we, um, my dad started selling um, the Brown family burgers. Yeah. Um, pretty much from day one. That's you know because there's always so many yeah. conversations about like who has the best burger around oh, Detroit. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And Redcoat, I mean, Redcoat still is just they have the volume. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's impressive. I can tell yeah. you though, any high-end restaurant throughout the state of Michigan though is good chance they're buying their burger from us. Yeah. So you mm-hmm. guys are throughout the whole state. Yeah. yeah. Right. I know I've been trying to twist your arms to get yeah. you up in the Keweenaw. Start. Yeah. Let's start running a truck once a month, okay? Yeah. I'll open a restaurant yeah. when you guys start delivering yeah. up there. Got to talk to our distribution nah, partner yeah, on yeah. that one. I'm, I'm talking <laughs> to the two owners right now. Yeah. But, uh, so how far outside of Michigan are you guys, you know, shipping right now? Like, What's your farthest uh, destination yeah. you're shipping to? So 
one of the things we did and you know the pivots we made is is um you know we really focus on the manufacturing of the product and the processing of the product now and um locally we do a lot of our own distribution but we we did partner up with carmel foods yeah. um and, and they're a distribution partner for us and and what they do is they'll take product they go up to mackinac island um they go up all throughout northern michigan they go into into the western and in the in the grand rapids up the shore right um down into ohio so um you know, our trucks will handle a lot of the tri-county area. But they're taking it and they're further. taking it further. But from aren't there. you shipping as well? So then we'll ship to, yeah, we'll ship product to, you know, we've got we've got um customers down in Florida that we'll ship to. Okay. Um we work with some of the Cameron Cameron Mitchell restaurants down there, the Ocean Primes. Gotcha. Um and then um again our, our our website too, we opened up. So, so you to, you, you can to get direct to consumer. Direct to consumer, yeah, we'll ship right to your house. So if you're local they can go and visit your store in Gross Point. You now have a basically like a market, right? Because yeah. your your spot in Easter Market isn't the best for uh, you know a civilian right. to walk into. Yeah. But the, now you have a store in Gross Point. Yeah. Where's it located? Mac Avenue, two o eight seven seven Mac Avenue in Gross Point Woods. And they can walk in, and you can now that's where you can see a counter, and you can all these steaks and burgers are talking. You can go and buy something. Yeah. And you're selling mm-hmm. you're selling sixty days. You're selling dry yeah. age wagyu. Everything, so, yeah, everything there is prepackaged, ready to go. Ready to go. Grab ready and go. go. You're gonna walk in. You're gonna it, talk to uh, somebody that's gonna point you in the right direction of you know. You yeah. tell them what you want, how you're gonna cook it. We'll guide you all the way through. Are you selling cryovac steaks? Everything's cryovac. So like, so you can uh, you walk people through sous vide a little bit. Walk them through the sous vide. Yeah. We we sell in in this store. Um, these steaks are sold, and and you know. Uh, the motto on the store is inspired by chefs, built by butchers. Mm-hmm. You know, the, all of our steaks and all of our selections in the store are what some of the best chefs in Michigan and throughout the country are are, are getting. You know, and, and are using. And you got my buying. name on one of those steaks, we Gino. Do. So we, we do have your signature. <laughs> you better, I better get a kickback. Si- we've you got your signature uh, dry charge bone charge two there. more dollars <laughs> a pound and give me a kickback. You got it. You know, but, I, Anne has a Anne has a market in Gross Point. Uh, oh. Sprout House. Her and her, her and Lisa uh, Brancato do. A, they have a, a little cute little corner store market. Okay. So uh, so now the, you, you know, we got a market destination now. So yeah. now you can go to Sprout House. That's right. Get yeah. all your snacks. A little more plant based for yeah. somebody in the family that's plant based. But you know somebody in yeah. the household yeah. wants a steak. Yeah. So now you can go to Sprout House and then swing by Fairway. That's right. Yeah. 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 yeah we don't have any too ma- we, don't, we don't have too many vegetables in our store. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the store the store we'll be the was total balance. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's a balancing act. Yeah. The store was always like a, a vision we had um, for many years. And it was just, when do we do it? How do we do it? Where do we do it? And it all came to fruition when um, the pandemic, yeah, um, when everything mm-hmm. was shut down and restaurants were closed and, you know, everyone was at home and the grocery stores got slammed. Um, you know, people at the grocery stores were out of meat. Um, there, was, there wasn't that many more, there wasn't any other alternative. So we're like, guys, this is the time now. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. Let's get into this. Well, you and know, our food system's so broken in America that it's like a butcher shop is an, is like almost a novelty at this point because you were so used to just going to the one-stop shop. And yeah, I think the pandemic kind yeah. of exposed all those flaws. Yeah. But so people, it makes sense for you to yeah. have a butcher shop. People like got store. access yeah. to us that never did. Right. But um, it's the restaurant quality steak. Right. Right. It's right. that restaurant quality steak. Which that, you can't that, say. That people, that people got the experience when... Um, when during COVID, when we were sending boxes to houses or working with you guys, right. you, you put a box together. Oh, for sure. Um, but you know, the average grocery store, right? 
and they and, don't have like you know if you go if you buy like yeah. what looks okay as you know at your local grocery grocery yeah. store that steak is not no. that's that's a that's no. a pretty big and, distance from what you guys and, are doing and that and that comes down to again you know where are you sourcing that from yeah do you care about where that product comes from all right one final question and this is a question that a lot of people have so now you walk into your butcher shop and you've got this beautiful steak and now you're taking it home and all you're thinking when you're driving home is I can't screw this up. <laughs> I can't afford to screw this up. <laughs> I can't afford to screw yeah. this up. So I want all of you to talk about how to not screw it up and how to make a steak. Gina, why don't you go first? So you're already buying one of the finest steaks that you can you know, find on the market from so us. So the pressure's on. It's on. Right. The pressure's on. The pressure's yeah. on. So we're supplying you with the... Best quality steak. May it be choice, prime, wagyu, dry-aged, a burger, our chicken. Um, everything we source in there is, you know, the finest you're going to see. Right. So you're already starting with a very high quality. And then one of our staff members there, or one of us, if we're there, which we are quite often, will help you pick out the right steak for how you're going to cook it. And we will point you in the right yeah, direction. How are you how, cooking it? Gino, Gino's avoiding this question. Yeah, Gino, I see that. Gino how are you cooking the we best steak? Who, at your we house? all know who cooks the best steak. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, there we go. Okay. Oh, here we go. So how are you? How are you cooking your steak, Gino? Me, I'm just. I, I love. I love the grill. The grill. It doesn't matter. Outside, it could be zero degrees or. What is it? Degrees. Gas grill. I cook on a gas. Gas grill. grill. Yeah. Okay, and then what? I, I cook on a gas grill. The fairway steak salt. Um, Hits that. It's got and promo and everything. That's it. Wearing a fairway shirt. <laughs> fairway, fairway shirt. Yeah, shirt. yeah. yeah. Fairway 35, hat. 35.95, yeah. by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Using a fairway steak. We get it. So, okay. So, like, so, yeah. so simply seasoned. Simply seasoned. On the grill. What temperature are you cooking it to? Are you probing it or are you just, you just touching it? I don't probe. It? I'm touching it. There you go. Yeah. For sure. And what, 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 medium rare? How do you like the cooking? Medium rare. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, you. So, I'll tell you. So, <laughs> We have we have a good time all cooking steaks together, but uh, so the the new the method that I I really came to I, I always loved the the gas grill and I always loved the infrared, but um, over the past year I got introduced to a really good wood um, charcoal, um, and it's just, it's a hickory hardwood, and um, I I like sous vide steaks. So over the past couple of years um, I started sous viding my steaks, and especially you know I like to cut a, a bigger steak, a thicker steak. Um, and when you sous vide that, you know, you can, you could get that to the right temperature all the way through. So chef could probably explain the sous vide method in a little bit. Yeah, no problem. Um, so for me, I like to sous vide the steak. Mm -hmm. Um, I sous vide it to about 110, 115. Um, and then I take it and then I get a, a wood charcoal, um, really hot. And then I'll take it out of the sous vide. I'll season it. I'll put the state, the fairway steak salt on it. Um, and then it just. Put it right on that wood charcoal mm -hmm. and you know get a really good sear on both sides um so that doesn't take it. long because it's already no yeah yeah so i mean it, i'm kind of a hybrid of those two so sous is definitely the method especially if you're getting uh, a really expensive steak and you don't want to miss right i agree i do about 110 110 is a tad under medium rare but you're going to increase temperature when you're cooking it Sous vide, you can buy uh, a sous vide wand, basically. Go on Amazon. They're called mm -hmm. wands, you know, more or less. It's the slang for it. Immersion circulator. Um, there's a few different names. But if you just go on Amazon, sous vide, S-O-U-S, and then V, like V-I-D-E. It's French, obviously, like, un, you know, basically under vacuum. It's like under 
under pressure. Um, and it's a, it's a, it's a water bath. So it's a, you use, you want to cryovac steak cause you don't want to expose the steak flesh to water. You right. want to have it, you know, uh, isolated by the plastic and you want to make sure your cryovac is uh, intact. That's not like, you know, um, like the bag isn't, you know, perforated. So when it's a perfectly sealed bag, you put it in the temperature controlled water at about 110, in my opinion, about an hour, that'll give you a guarantee if there's a bone or if it's really thick, like Emmett's saying. You pull it out, you season it heavily, especially if it's a thick cut steak. You really can't <laughs> over season the outside of a steak, yeah. in my opinion. And then I prefer, I use the dry aged beef mostly. I prefer a, what I would call a wet method. You guys are using dry methods, by which is perfectly fine. But for me, you already have all the moisture removed, you know? So I want to do it in a cast iron pan or at the restaurant, we do it on the plancha, the flat top. And what it does is it caramelizes the outside entirely, not in grill marks, leaving exposed pieces. It's a complete sear. Like you would think about like a crispy skin fish or a, a sauteed chicken breast or something. The whole thing is getting seared, heavily caramelized, a little bit of butter, just to kind of like, you know, keep it, mm -hmm. uh, you know, kind of moist and lubricated on the grill. Otherwise you end up with like getting dry spots. And then uh, sear every part of it, top, bottom, bone, every side. Let it rest for a good two minutes. And then I like to slice my steak. Let it rest so the, the, you know, the heat comes down, the blood mm -hmm. kind of stabilizes. And then you want to slice it. And I like to present the steak sliced. Because the worst thing, is if you, get, if you get too big of a piece of steak and someone tries to chew it, it's going to not be palatable because it's, it's hard to you know, break through. But you wanna, I like to serve my steaks sliced. That way everyone can get a proper... You know, piece of steak. All right, I have another question. Let's say somebody doesn't have a sous vide. Okay. Yep. So they can't do that. They still have this be beautiful piece of meat that they don't want to mess up. Um, so I've read, I've never done it. The reverse, reverse sear. sear. Yeah. yeah. Is that a thing? It is, is it worth it? Yeah. So basically, what you're doing is you're warming your steak up in the oven, you know, to where you get to an internal temperature similar to sous vide. So you basically are like warming it up. And then you're just finishing it by caramelizing it. Right. So it's just, you know, some people call it reverse sear because it's like usually you sear and then finish in the oven. Right. I've cooked an unbelievable amount of steaks in my life. So I have no problem cooking it from room temp or cool, but that's a good way for somebody that's, you know, maybe a, I don't want to have somebody try that for the first time, right? The reverse here. Because like, if you forget about it or if your oven's too hot, then now you have a baked medium, well, unseasoned, you know, like now you've ruined it even worse. Yes. I'd rather have a medium, well, you know, steaks cooked from searing it than right. have a baked steak that I'm, right. you know. Yeah, the texture, that texture's Yeah, the texture's off. off. Yeah. So reverse okay. sear is definitely like, I think a little bit. Um, it's a little more nuanced. So if, you gotta know what you're doing. Yeah. yeah, the best way is like, I'm not kidding you, put it on your counter for like two hours. Like leave it out for two Room hours. Room temperature. That's Room the way I would do That's it. the way to do yeah. it. And then season it, sear it. And honestly, if you're cooking at home, pull it, cut, cut into it. Take a look towards the tail, the bend. little piece, cut into it and peek at it. Literally mm -hmm. bend it yeah. back and peek at it. Right. And does it look good to you? Then eat it. Mm -hmm. Like, I think too many people yeah. are like, oh, I'm afraid to cut it. The whole thing's not going to, you know, <laughs> just just drain of all of its juices. Right. Just take a little piece. You just don't want to overdone it. Yeah. Well, Overdo it. So at, home, so at home, you would cast iron on the stovetop. I would sous vide and cast iron yeah. on the stovetop, let it rest, slice, and, and serve. And then and serve. Okay. There you go. Well, thank you guys so much. Uh, we obviously could talk about this for days. I know. Yeah. But it's a limited time yeah. podcast. Uh, I'm sure we'll have questions in the future. If, and we, anytime we want to deep dive beef again, we'll, we'll get you back on. But, but for now, you guys can check out the Fairway Packing Company website. Go visit the store in Gross Point. Or if you're a restaurant, you're buying from someone else, you're doing it wrong, hit up Gino or Emmett <laughs> and uh, get your steaks from, from these guys. Thanks, you guys. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks so much for listening to Essential Cooking. If you've been enjoying our show, please drop us a review and share it with a friend. 
This podcast is produced by me, Anne Delisi, with my co-host, James Rigato. This episode was also produced, engineered, and edited by Connor Anderson, with production support from David Lyons, original music by the Mallet Brothers. Essential Cooking is a production of WDET, Detroit's NPR station.